0: like, we're here, but yeah. like, not that important. And this, like, By himself in the corner. Yeah. Someone, and then uh, take a seat. Hello, Melissa. Welcome. Uh, it's good to be here. I, I hope uh, you you are beginning to enjoy your summer. For some of you, you have just finished school, so congratulations on another school year being done. Uh, in your bulletin, you'll notice that there are quite a few high school graduates this year. And yeah, congratulations to all of you high school graduates. Uh, and one of the things that we are doing uh, is to send... Uh, a short message of encouragement or affirmation or even uh, just thoughts, Uh, you can send it to Matthew Lynn. His email address is there, and it's for these high school seniors as they get ready to go off uh, to college. So uh, please make sure you send that to Matthew by next week. Also, uh, at the end of this month, we will have VBS, and our VBS registration is closed. However, uh, what you can do uh, to participate in this is to continue to pray for all the families and all the students who will be here. And you probably saw in the, uh, in the announcements earlier, if you came before, we do have our all home of Christ retreat. The registration is open and you could go on the, the website and you could sign up. Our password and our username are both HOC5. So please sign up. I think the registration actually closes at the end of this month. Um, so please do sign up for that. Um, Let me pray, and then we're going to get started in today's message, all right? Uh, Won't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, that you are a good, faithful Father, that you have drawn us together as your family, uh, that you have given us um, a community where we could belong and we could love one another, we could serve one another. But you've also called us to much more. And Father, I pray as we look at your word, would you... Open our eyes and our hearts. Would you cause our hands and our feet to take action according to the things you have called us to do. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So over the past couple weeks, uh, we've been, or it's actually since the beginning of the year, we've been looking at this book of Ephesians, and our theme for the year is we are family. And over the course of this year, we've been talking about what does it mean to be a church family, right? And as we looked at the book of Ephesians, uh, we've been reminded that God has called uh, different groups of people together into his family, and he has given us an inheritance, he has given us a position, he has given us a title, we are co-heirs with Christ, and so as a church over this, the course of this year, we've been trying to encourage a church uh, family atmosphere right? So we've been encouraging people to to come and eat together, to develop relationships with one one another, uh, to even during communion to to break bread and to pray with one another, all with the hopes of of achieving and realizing what it means for the church to be a family. Next week, we're actually going on into a new series talking about some of the different dysfunctions, some of the different challenges we all face in our families. Uh, But today I wanted to pause and just remind ourselves why we have been focusing on the theme of family. What is the purpose of the church family? What is it that God wants us to do? What is it that God calls us to do as a family? So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand, and uh, one of the ushers will bring a Bible uh, to you. The, The scripture is up here on the screen. Oh, there we go. Matthew chapter 28. This is a passage that we should all be very familiar with. Matthew chapter 28 Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end. Of the age. So a little background information. If you don't know, uh, Jesus was crucified. He was buried. He rose again. And he appears to his disciples. He's about to leave the earth. He appears to the disciple here. And Matthew ends the gospel not with Jesus rising into heaven, but with Jesus' final command. And the command for all of us is to go and make disciples. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, these are Christ's last words to you and to me. Go and make disciples. Now the word disciple, it it is an odd word. It's not a word that we typically use. It actually comes from this Greek word, mathetes. It has the same root as mathematics. Uh, Mathematics just means a student of learning. But a mathetes, a disciple, is someone who learns, someone who is a student, someone who is a follower. And when Jesus uses this word disciple, he has a very specific Understanding of discipleship in mind, because some of us will think, well, you know, discipleship means this or discipleship means that. But in the Jewish mindset, there was a very prescriptive way of how this word is used. Uh, I've used this. uh, I've I've explained this before, but I wanted to remind us for the Jewish uh, child. From the ages to 6 to 12, they would go to what we might consider elementary school. It is called a Bet Sefer. And they would go and they would study the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. Right? So every 6 to 12-year-old, both boys and girls, would memorize the first five books of the Bible. Imagine that. I wonder how many of us have ever memorized any parts of the Bible. Um, but a 12-year-old should be able to recite the entire uh, Torah. And at the age of 12, these young children, mostly boys, would be welcomed into the community of faith. You've heard of the bar mitzvah. And they would be allowed, this would be the entrance into the community of faith, they would be allowed to read from the Torah because they, they memorize it. And so they would be able to read uh, publicly. Now the second uh, school, not everybody moves on. So like for us, elementary school, you, you next step you go into middle school or junior high. Uh, but for them, only uh, the select would go into the Beth Midrash, the house of study. And it's there that they would continue to memorize the entire Old Testament. Now, now just catch that. They, w- they would actually commit the entire Old Testament to memory. So, you know, when scripture says, I've hidden your word in my heart. That's not metaphor. That's literal. They have hidden God's word in their heart. They would memorize the entire Old Testament. Uh, As I mentioned, very few were chosen, and it was there that they would learn more about Scripture. They would learn the Jewish art of asking questions. right? Instead of simply answering questions, sometimes in our school system, we'll we'll ask a question, and then the student is expected to respond with an answer. But in the Jewish uh, school uh, of learning the student was expected to ask a question. And depending on how insightful that question was, was uh, how the, the rabbi would determine if this student really understood it. So if you remember, Jesus, as a young boy of 12, he was in the temple. He was listening to the teachers. And scripture tells us he was asking questions. And the, the rulers, the teachers, and everyone else was amazed at his understanding of the law. Now, for those who finish this, most of these students would, would after this uh, portion of schooling, they'd go back to their family trade. They would, they would go back to uh, whatever their family does. But the last leg, uh, the house of Talmud, right? The house of, of, of uh, the Talmudines, the disciples, these uh, would be the very, very few that were selected uh, to follow in the, the steps of a rabbi. And here, they, it was a very select group of individuals. They would actually leave their families, and they would leave their occupation, and they would leave everything and just follow the teacher, wherever they go. In fact, oftentimes you would hear they would fall in the dust of the rabbis because there's so much traveling. So they would travel with their teacher wherever the teacher goes. And for 24-7, their whole job isn't simply to learn scripture. They've already learned and memorized all the Old Testament. Their job is to understand the application of scripture. They would live with their rabbi for 24-7. They would eat, sleep, and, and discuss Uh, the different applications of scripture. And the point of this schooling is that the student, the disciple, and this is where the word disciple actually comes from. It's this last portion. The disciple would look exactly like the teacher, right? If the disciple came out and was different from the teacher, it was different from the rabbi, then he was not a good uh, Talmudin. He was not a good student. And it's this last school that Jesus has in mind when he says, go and make disciples. It's this final portion where he says, go and make learners who will leave everything behind. They will leave their families. They will leave their occupations. They will leave their wealth. They will leave their because they know the treasure is so great. Go and make those kinds of learners because that is what the call of Christ is. A disciple Uh, To disciple a person is to intentionally pursue a relationship that will support, guide, teach, and encourage others to be just like Jesus, right? So catch that. When we talk about discipleship, when Jesus talks about discipleship, he had a very specific word in mind. It is to make a person who would leave everything to follow him. Now, there's a few things that we can learn from what discipleship is in, in this uh, Great Commission passage. The first is discipleship is intentional, right? Go, therefore. It's a command. It's an imperative. Go, therefore, make disciples. And the first thing that we can learn about uh, the intentionality of disciple-making is that we need to intentionally go, right? We need to intentionally uh, go somewhere the responsibility is on us the responsibility is on you if you are a follower of Jesus Christ Jesus is telling you your job is to make disciples your job is to go somewhere your job is to to not expect people to come to you right that was the Jewish model but the Jesus model was he would went went out and looked for his students I used to think this verse uh, really implied, you know, as you're going, wherever you're going. But the force of this uh, participle is actually much more of a command. He's saying, Christian, you go. And sometimes in the church, we kind of change the emphasis. We change the great commission to come and we'll make you a disciple. Come to our church. Come to our small group. Come to our youth group. Come to our fellowship Come to our lunches, and there we'll make you a disciple. Come to this totally foreign event where we sing songs that you don't know, and we we read from a, a text that is ancient, that you've never heard of. Come and be completely uncomfortable, and we'll make you a disciple. But Jesus says, no, I want you to go wherever you live. Wherever you go to school, wherever you work, I want you to go. And that might be in this church. There might be people in this church that Jesus is telling you, I want you to go to them and make disciples. I want you to pursue intentional relationships that will support and encourage others to be just like Jesus. The other aspect of being intentional when it comes to disciple making is we are called to intentionally teach. At the very heart of discipleship is a call to share the gospel, to share the, the saving news of Jesus Christ. It means more than just inviting people into a relationship with Christ, there's a, there's a teaching component as well. Right? And so for us, since we are not growing up in this Jewish educational system, we are expected also to play catch-up, to teach them the books of the Bible, to teach them the overarching story of what Scripture says. But even beyond to teach them, what does it mean to be a father and a follower of Jesus Christ? What does it mean to be a student and a follower of Jesus Christ? What does it mean to be a single mom and a follower of Jesus Christ? We're called to intentionally teach. We're not just called to convert, right? We're not just called to share the gospel. We're called to teach people so that they become like Christ in everything they do. We're called to be intentional in our relationships. We're called to, to pour our lives, to invest into those relationships, invest into those interactions. When we talk with people, are we being intentional in our conversation? Right? Or do our conversations remain fairly superficial? Like how the warrior's doing. <laughs> Sorry, all you warrior's fan. There is a part of me that takes great joy in this. But, you know, that's fine. You could share in my suffering. Uh, But are our conversationals intentional? Are we intentionally pointing one another to what it looks like to follow Christ? Listen to what Paul has to say when he's talking to the church in Colossae. He's saying, Him we proclaim, Jesus we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this, I toil. I struggle. There's, an, there's hardship, right? There's energy that he works within me. It, it, it takes work. It takes putting your neck out on the line to say, hey, I'm going to ask you a very serious question. I'm going to challenge you to take your faith seriously. It might cost me. It might cost me my time because I would much rather be watching TV. I would much rather be playing video games. But you know what? This is what I'm called to do. Catch what Paul's saying, for this I toil, for this I struggle with all of God's energy. And that's what Christ calls us to do when he calls us to go and make disciples. Be intentional with your relationships. In my life, I've had uh, several people pour their lives into me. Uh, they've taken time to invest into my life. I remember as a high schooler, we we had a uh, snow retreat, and Louis Chu, some of you guys might know Lewis Chu. Louis Chu was a college student, or a grad student at the time, and I remember he hung out with us, a bunch of guys, at this snow retreat. All we did was do push-ups, sit-ups, and talk about our faith. It, it was kind of crazy, right? Like, who, who does that? But for whatever reason, it stuck in my mind. And all we did, we just kept on talking about, we kept on doing push-ups and sit-ups the whole night, and none of us could move the next day, but he, we would talk about faith. He shared with us what it meant to to struggle with singleness, what it meant to follow Christ as a grad student. Uh, there's another young man, uh, he's older than me, a couple of years, Paul. Uh, he made it a point. He led a Bible study that I attended. And after every Bible study, not during the time, but throughout the week, he would... He would call me up. He'd swing by and say, hey, Dean, how are you doing? What are you learning? How are you you doing in your relationship with Sumiko? I I had just begun dating her. I had a pastor, Jess, who taught me what it means to be on my knees in prayer, to cry out to God in prayer, to trust God and to live with faith. And he would take time and say, hey, Dean, you know, I noticed this about you, uh, especially when it comes to just trusting God or especially when it comes to praying. Let me share my life with you. There's an intentionality that Jesus requires for each one of us as we go and make disciples. So the first thing is we need to be intentional in our relationship. The second thing is we need, discipleship means sharing your life. Discipleship means sharing your life. The passage continues on, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Oftentimes, when we hear the word "baptize," we think of water baptism, something that we just had uh, this past Easter, and it is true that that is what that word uh, refers to. But the word "baptize" it comes from this Greek word "baptizo" and actually means to immerse, to submerge, to drown. One of the most uh, early, one of the earliest usage of this word is a famous physician 200 years before Jesus. He, would, he described how to make pickles, right? So this is, this is actually, you know, a 2,200-year-old 2, pickling recipe. He would describe that you would take these cucumbers and you'd put it in vinegar and you'd soak it in, and when it comes out, it's like magic, the cucumbers tasted different. And, and so that word, that baptizo word, it, it has this understanding of being immersed, being submerged in the reality of who God is. But to, to, to see the reality of God in my life, to see the reality of God in your life, right? And, as, and I believe this is in part what Jesus is talking about. He's, he's calling us not only to baptize by water, but to immerse a person in the reality of what it means to follow the Son, to follow the Father, to follow the Spirit, we need to be immersed in the reality of who God is and what his character is. We need to tell people, there's a God that's created you, and he created everything around you. You don't see him, you don't feel him, but he's around. Let me share with you how I see this reality. Let me share with you how I live this out. Right? He lived and died to so that. The debt we owe is now forgiven. Let me share with you and, and show you Because I've been forgiven how I forgive others. There's a Holy Spirit in in each of us that, that helps us know God and know the love of God. Let me share with you how I listen to the Spirit. And this only happens when we ourselves are transparent. This only happens when we ourselves are vulnerable, when we say, this is how I experience the reality of God. It only happens when we open up our homes, our lives our finances even, our relationships. It says, this is what I believe about God. Let me show you how it's reflected in my life. Not to say, I'm better than you. I just want you to know that this is the reality. This is, this is more than just teaching. right? It, though teaching is part of it, it's more than just a weekly gathering at a coffee shop or an office somewhere. It's opening up your life, sharing your life experience. And saying, this is what it means to trust God for me, Paul ri- writes this, uh, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. There's nothing that's hidden from, from you, from my life. Anything I have, anything you want to know, I, I'm open, because I need you to know what it means to follow Christ. In all that it entails, not just at church, not just at small group. Not just at prayer meetings. What does it mean to follow Christ at my house, with my children, with my parents, at my work? Discipleship is more than just teaching. It's being open. It's being transparent. Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ, right? It's this opening up of my life. Let me Let me show you how I do things. Let me show you how I think. Let me show you my priorities. And follow me because I'm following Christ. Our lives should be an example to other people. So let's pause there and and ask ourselves, are we being intentional in our relationships? Are we intentionally going out and are we intentionally opening up our lives to others? To the young men and women who are graduating from high school? To those who are in this church, maybe to those outside, to those who are, who are exploring what faith is. Maybe it's to our neighbors. Maybe it's to our coworkers. Are we sharing our lives with others so that they know what it means to follow Christ? Discipleship means sharing your life. The next thing we, we gather from this discipleship holds people accountable. Discipleship holds people accountable. And this is actually very challenging because I think we live in a culture now where we don't like to tell people if they are doing something right or wrong. Right? Who are we to say you're doing something right or wrong? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them, now catch this, to observe all that I have commanded. The idea here is to obey, to do the things that Christ had called them to do. Our job is not simply to teach them. Our job is not simply to to transmit information. Disciple making is not complete until the disciple looks exactly like the discipler. And when Jesus tells us, go and make disciples, obedience to God's word is part of what it means to make a disciple. So, what that means is, we have to instruct with the purpose of obedience, right? And and it puts a lot of burden, I think, on the disciple, because I I think especially uh, for those of us who feel uncomfortable telling people what they should be doing or what they shouldn't be doing, Christ tells us, we need to teach them to observe all that I have commanded. Now, notice, Disciple, one of the reasons uh, I think that's there, Jesus tells us, if you love him, you'll obey his commands. If you love Christ, you'll obey his commands. The purpose isn't to create a legalistic Christian. The purpose isn't to create a legalistic disciple. The purpose is to draw people into a love relationship with Christ. And those who love Christ obey his commands. And when you're called to make a disciple, you're called to teach them to obey all that God has commanded. Christ has already given us God's word. What we're doing now is teaching people how to observe and apply. And I think this is actually a challenge for me because... I really enjoy studying the Bible. Uh, it's just kind of a personal bent of mine. I really enjoy digging into the Bible and, and discovering new truths. I kind of like the mental exercise of studying God's Word and, and f- discovering things. But it's the application that is challenging for me. But it's more than the application. It's the accountability for someone else to put that into action that is challenging. And when Christ tells us, make disciples, He's saying, I want you not only to teach them God's word, I want you to teach them to obey it, to do it, to change their lives, to be transformed by God's word. Barna Research did a study; it's about ten years old now, and it described the seven main faith tribes in America. Uh, and so, it's actually interesting because they they broke up the Christian group into two groups. There's a casual Christian, there's a captive Christian, uh, Mormon, Jews, skeptics, Muslim, uh, pantheists. It's kind of interesting because between the casual Christian and the captive Christian, uh, there's a lot of difference. Uh, I'm going to read a quote from Barna's research, and then there's a little bit more on this slide. "Casual Casual Christianity is faith in moderation. It allows them to feel religious without having to prioritize their faith. Christianity is a low-risk, predictable proposition for this tribe, providing a faith perspective that is not demanding. A casual Christian can be all the things they esteem, a nice human being, a family person, religious, an exemplary citizen, a reliable employee, and never have to publicly defend or represent difficult moral or social positions or even lose much sleep over their private choices as long as they mean well and generally do their best. And the idea here is that 66% right, of, the, of this respondents, of the population, are casual Christians. They are known to be Christians, but their lives do not obey God's word. Their lives are, they have not left everything to follow Christ. They're not driven by the desire to obey Christ. Now, a captive Christian. Our focus on upholding the absolute moral and spiritual truths they glean from the Bible. And it's very important that we understand when Christ calls us, he calls us to die to ourselves, our dreams, our hopes, and to follow him. He doesn't call us to casual Christianity, he doesn't call us to nominal Christianity. He calls us to be disciples who leave everything behind to follow him, to be just like him. And when he tells us to make disciples of others, he's calling us, don't make a casual Christian disciple. Don't make people who feel good about themselves and and are generally good people or generally reliable or generally kind. Teach others so that they would radically follow Christ in everything they do. Because that's what he's called us to do, too. Discipleship holds people accountable. And I think this brings up a question because, you know, as much as I like to tell people they're right or wrong, um, it, it does feel a little offensive, doesn't it? It's like, oh, you shouldn't be living that way. Oh, you shouldn't think like that. Oh, you shouldn't do this. And I think the, the, the last one here is that we need to be reminded that we are not making disciples on our own authority. We are not making disciples based on the way we are raised. We're not making disciples based on our own culture or our own subculture. We're making disciples with God's authority. Notice, and oftentimes, we don't always read this verse, but Jesus comes and says to him, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is saying, because I conquered death, because I conquered sin, because I am victorious over Satan, now you go and you make disciples, people who will leave everything behind to follow me, people whose lives will be transformed, and you make disciples because I'm giving you that authority. I know how this story ends, Jesus says. I'm victorious. And until I come back again, I want you to make ambassadors for me. I want you to go and I want you to challenge people to give up everything, to follow Christ, to know that this is a treasure far greater than any treasure they have. And there are times There are times where we feel unqualified, or perhaps underqualified. We feel like, well, who am I to tell someone they need a change? My life is kind of messed up. Who am I to to tell someone that they're wrong? And, And Jesus here reminds us, it's not you. It's my authority that's going before you. Discipleship is made with God's authority. And finally, here's the last one. Discipleship is communal. And this is something that you actually won't see in in the English text. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There is a second person plural there that you don't know. But he's talking to the disciples. He's talking to the the church, right? He's saying, you all, you all should go and make disciples. This is a community building exercise. He's saying, as the church, you all do this together. Back in uh, 2000, there were two men, Jimmy Wales and Larry Sanger. They had this idea. Uh, they wanted to contact, uh, contract the best and the brightest historians and professors from around the world, and they wanted to create this online a database, uh, this online library, it's called Newpedia and they wanted them to, to hire the best editors and they would go to this site and this site would have all the information written by the foremost experts and so they spent uh, millions of dollars um, but after three years only 24 articles were uploaded right? because it just takes a lot of research and it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of energy to uh, write an article about a particular topic during this process, also, they also decided to, another way to get more articles, uh, they decided to employ a different strategy. So they had two strategies going on. One was, let's have the professionals do it. Another was, let's just get everybody to submit an article, and we'll edit it as we go along, right? And so after three years, the first, uh, the first method, Newpedia, only had 24 articles. Uh, but with Wikipedia, the second article, perhaps one of your, uh, the first search results that you get, uh, within the first year, they had over 20,000 articles, right? And today we know Wikipedia to be the largest encyclopedia with over 17 million articles. And the reason Wikipedia succeeded where Newpedia didn't was because everybody had a role in contributing uh, to this database of information. There are some times I feel like, and there are some times I, b- I hear people will come to me or people will come to a a staff or pastor or an elder and say, well, you should be making disciples because you're the expert. You should be making disciples because you have the training. But but here's the thing, right? Christ doesn't call only the elders and the pastors and the leaders of the church to make disciples. He says, y'all make disciples. Whoever you are, If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, make disciples. Now, you may not be an expert in everything, but there's a gift that God has given to you. And your job is to be intentional, to go and to teach. Your your job is to to hold people accountable. It's you all. I asked several people to share uh, some of their experiences, and then we're going to wrap up. Uh, their their experience in discipleship, because I know as a church, we have, there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of fears, there's a lot of uncertainty about uh, what discipleship entails. So hopefully this encourages you a bit. Can you hit the lights, Kevin? I found that when I'm discipling someone, I'm much more intentional in my own spiritual growth, and whether I'm living a life that would inspire and encourage growth in someone else it's also incredibly rewarding to be able to get front row seats to see how God is working in someone else's life
1: really um, I feel like for me there's nothing more satisfying and gratifying to to be a part of someone's spiritual walk with God um, to be a part of someone's journey to understanding who Jesus is and why he did what he did on this planet when he was alive and um, and to see them read the Bible for themselves and to pray for themselves and to really experience the Holy Spirit's power in their lives.
2: But I think it's been really good in a couple of things, and some of them are just keeping me on track. I think when you have a commitment to someone else, uh, it motivates you beyond what you would do just for yourself to, you know, if you're checking in with that person and asking them how they're doing, you think about, am I in a place to be able to talk to them about that? If I'm not, you know, can I tell them about why things are maybe not on track for me? Um, not just hearing about maybe the things that other people need help with or the, the things that they may have going on and I also think it's great to get a different point of view to get to know people from kind of different groups in the congregation uh, because otherwise, again, it's really busy maybe you don't take the time to get to know them so it's been really nice Discipleship has given me an adult that I can look up to and trust which I think is really nice it's really helped me learn more about God and discover a lot of things that I thought I knew but turns out I didn't. I think going into discipleship I was a little bit concerned about um, just making the time to commit to doing it. It never seems like there's enough time in the day right now. Um, and also just you know, what is it that I can actually help this other person with? What, what can I do for them?
0: what i've learned is that you don't have to have it all together or have all the answers you just have to be willing to walk alongside someone love them and point them to god your humanness is often what makes you more approachable and relatable and opens the door for them to be open and vulnerable with you it's okay to say you know i don't really have the answer to that but let's pray and see what god has to say it's an opportunity to learn and grow together
1: i think for me it's the reason why I like subject so much and why I enjoy being a, being a part of someone's journey is is because I know how sinful I, I personally am. Like, I know how uh, messed up I can be with my pride and my ambitions and my goals and how often I leave God out of the picture. Uh, but for God to use a broken human being like me, for God to use someone who's uh, prone to just being selfish, like for me to see God use someone like that, someone like me to benefit someone else, it just shows me how much greater God is above my ways, above what I think is right, what I think is wrong.
2: As for making disciples, it might be slightly scary or frightening at first, but God calls us to make disciples. And I think that once you try discipleship, it'll really make you grow closer to God.
1: Um, so yeah, discipleship has been this big ongoing story of grace. Like just seeing how God can show things about His divine nature to people like us. I feel like you don't really get to see that unless you're in, in an intentional relationship with somebody uh, to really grow and to learn about
2: God as a community.
0: Um, yeah. Just do it. <laughs> you know, I'm so proud that we have, um, whoops, I'm so proud that we have, we, not just these four individuals, so many other people who are taking the call to make disciples seriously. So a few takeaways. I think uh, the first one really is where, where are you in the process of being a disciple? Right? Have you considered, like, you know, are, are you still at that elementary school level of just knowing about Christ? Are you, are you studying God's Word? And even more importantly, are, are you making a disciple? Are you intentionally building relationships that you can pour into someone else's life? truth is we're all busy all right i think kevin mentioned that in the video we're we're all busy and we have to be intentional in saying i want to spend time with you i want to pour my life into you i want to share with you all the things that i've gone through and i hope my life experience will help you grow closer in love with jesus christ because if we don't take that intentionality it's never going to happen so one thing we can do this week is get to know someone or think of someone that you could disciple or perhaps even ask to be discipled by. Over the course of these past six months, our church, our congregation, we've really been encouraging this congregation to get to know one another. We've been, we've been hosting uh, lunches. We've been trying to have these human a hawk five where you could just get to know people. And these are all great, but... Don't forget, the reason we are doing this is so that we could build relationships where we can disciple one another. Right? The purpose of all that we're doing as a family is that we can go and we can make disciples. So who can you be intentional with this week? For some of you here, you're thinking, well, I don't disciple anyone. I don't know. I don't know anyone here. Just start praying. Perhaps afterwards, just, just stay around and just pray and say, God who do you want to bring into my life? Be intentional in talking with someone, perhaps during lunch or even afterwards. Sit somewhere different where where you're not always with the same people. Uh, Be intentional in your relationships. As we talk with people, we might say, well, you know, this is a great friendship. But it's not really discipleship unless we're pointing people to Christ. It's not really discipleship unless we're challenging people with god's word and holding people accountable so ask them this person that you're uh, in a relationship with what has god been teaching you what are you learning from scripture and what are you doing what what is the one takeaway that you're going to do this week and i'm going to ask you if you've you've done it because we're called to ask people to obey god's word we're called to teach people to obey god's word so be intentional in the relationships that you have. <coughs> Finally, the, the third one, and, and this, this, is, this is kind of an extension of the, the second one, is ask someone to study the Bible with you. Right? And, and this, may be, this may come as uh, strange. Lifeway uh, did a survey of what non-Christians really think about Christians, and surprisingly, one of the top things on that list is non-Christians want to study the Bible with a Christian. They just don't want to do it at church. <laughs> or in a small group. But they would love to study the Bible with someone. And if you have someone in mind, if God has placed someone on your heart, just say, hey, I'd love to study the Bible with you. Would you be willing to spend time? I might not have all the questions, but we're gonna just read it together. We're gonna see, how does this change my life? Maybe it's someone here, and someone you're trying to get to know is like, "I, I just wanna study the Bible with you. And not only study for knowledge sake, but for life transformation. As Christians, we are called to make disciples wherever we go, but the burden is on us to go, to be intentional in our relationships, to be open and transparent and vulnerable with those we are discipling, to hold them accountable so that they're obeying the words of God, knowing that we go with the authority of God, but also knowing that we're doing this as a family. Won't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are grateful, Lord, that you have given us this family, this family to encourage and build one another up. But even more so, Lord, you've called us to make disciples wherever we go. And I know there's a lot of fear uh, in this room. There's a lot of uncertainty in this room of what should I do or who can I talk to or how will they receive this? But remind us, Lord, that you have already given us your authority to go and make disciples Would you speak to us? Perhaps even today, Lord, if there's a person that you place on our heart. Help us make disciples and take seriously your word so that we would be good disciples of you. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.